Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. I didn't even know Jim Croce went in for that kind of uh, stuff. You know, he, he was bad, badly. Like, apparently, apparently, sure, you don't <laughs> tug on Superman's cape. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show right here on the uh, Rock School Radio Network. Uh, we just keep gathering uh, like people collect paper clips. We just keep gathering other radio stations that want to run the show. Uh, we have a uh, yet another guest uh, sitter-inner today. I tried to get Edward Snowden, but uh, he's apparently on his way to Ecuador or Russia or somewhere else. So instead, we got uh, we got our own brown-eyed handsome man, number 42. It's, uh, it's our Tudor historian. What's your name, young man? Bill Robison. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you so much My for pleasure. In. I think Mr. It. Snowden is doing a show with Julian Assange today. You think so? Yeah, that's that's what I understand. Well, we're uh, we don't have many secrets here. As a matter of fact, we go out of our way to tell secrets here. And uh, if you want, here's my telephone, and it's uh, it's not Verizon, and I don't I don't know <laughs> that there's any pictures or anything on there that the government would care about. Looks pretty dull. Yeah, it is. It's uh, I think there's a Van Halen picture on there, but other than that, <laughs> nobody cares. Do you use the library for any interlibrary loan? Do you do that at all? Absolutely. Do you? I use it to death. In fact, I'm just waiting for that to be stopped with all the budget cuts. Oh, the interlibrary loan people are wonderful. I love it. Love it. Got a hold of a great book. Uh, as a matter of fact, I want to pitch the book because it is the topic for this show all the way through. It's called Rock and Roll's Strangest Moments, Extraordinary Tales from Over 50 Years of Rock Music History by a guy named Mike Evans. And it's it has no... You know, it has no thread the whole way through it. It's simply chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of some weird rock story. So there's no thread to this show. It's just one silly rock story after another one. Like if Frank Zappa's father is really Mr. Green Jeans and such, he, <laughs> right. he is not. So I don't think he is. No. Frank loved the story and he allowed it to keep going. But David Bowie. Let's talk David Bowie. Now, David Bowie, if you have ever looked at him up close, he has one eye a different color than the other eye. You ever noticed that? Yes. Okay. He also, the pupil also is a different size. Right. So, obviously, it's something he does on stage that, you know, a, a different color contact or something like that. Or the man's an alien, one of the two. No, it actually is done that way. It actually looks that way on purpose. Bowie gets into a fight when he's age 13 with a guy named George Underwood over what else? A girl. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. This is back when he wasn't David Bowie. Do you know what his name was beforehand, before David Bowie? I used to know, you know that. It's David Jones. David Jones, David right. David Jones, yeah. right. George Dexon. Which he changed to keep from being mistaken for right. Davy of the Monkees. Of the Monkees. Who was popular at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, gets into this fight, decks him in the eye. The eye was traumatized. The lasting effects were that the pupil is now hazel rather than the bright blue and is enlarged 
in the site. Now, you would think these guys would hate each other, right? Look at a lot of Bowie's albums. You'll notice that a guy named Underwood is playing backup on a lot of the bands. He's actually, that? Yeah, he's actually a backup player for Bowie. Later in Bowie's career, he's playing. This is much later. He's in his 50s. Later in his career, he's playing, and people are throwing things on stage at him. And a guy, someone in the audience, I assume it's a guy, throws a chup-a-chup, which is a, a lollipop. Right. And it goes in the eye. Oh, and dear. A, a roadie has to come and pull the lollipop out of the eye. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure most people thought that was part of the act. You I know, think so once too. once Alice Cooper's been guillotined, pretty sure. much anything goes. What do you say we put a, a lollipop in the eye? Sure, let's yeah. pick a chup a chup. There is kind of a Zen quality though to to, to David Bowie having two different colored eyes. Yeah. Naturally, when everything else he does that's weird is contrived. Sure. Let's head to Suffragette City. It's Bowie on Rock School. Rock School show coming out of David Bowie. What'd you think of that picture of him with the lollipop in his That's eye? That's a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, you thought I was kidding, didn't you? Hey, can you name a, a, a famous kids movie that has a suffragette in it? Uh, no. I'll bet you've watched it with your kids. What is it? Mary Poppins. So it is. The kid's mother is a suffragette. That's right. You're sure. right. Now I'm now I'm going to think about that. And and a lollipop in the eye. Here's another thing to stick in your brain. Do you, have you ever heard of the Plaster Casters? Yes. You have? I have. Now, you know there's two songs dedicated to the Plaster Casters, specifically that mentions them. Yes. One of them is, of course, Kiss, the Plaster Casters. And then did you know David Bowie's song, Five Short Minutes? Is dedicated, or not David Bowie, pardon me, Jim Croce's song, Five Short Minutes, is specifically his time with the Plaster Casters. I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't either. I didn't even know Jim Croce went in for that kind of uh, stuff. You know, he, he was bad, badly, Roy I, Brown. Apparently, apparently, sure. You don't tug on <laughs> Superman's cape. If you out there don't not know who the, there. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know who the Plaster Casters are, Cynthia Albritton, I believe is how you say it. She was a 19-year-old art student who went to see Paul Revere and the Raiders in hopes to get backstage and be deflowered. So that was her purpose. So she and girlfriend went backstage and succeeded on both counts. Okay. One the if by thing, land, two if by sea. Sure. So she wanted to be one of the groupies. Now, you got to remember, this is a different time. Being a groupie was a badge of honor today it's sort of looked down upon you know you're you're sort of a lady of the evening back then it was much different you could become a star by being a groupie sweet sweet connie was doing her act she had the whole show as a matter of fact Tammy well, bars you got it she's written books i yeah. mean she's written the introduction to many of the rock books i have on my shelf at home well cynthia wanted to find something so she became Contrary to her name, a woman who would make plaster casts of rock stars, um, little rock stars, if Equipment. you would. Equipment, if you will. And not just men. 
she would make molds of female rock stars' breasts as well. Now, again, contrary to the name, she did not use plaster to make the mold. What she used was, and I'm looking here to make sure I get it right, dental alginate. Who knew? Yeah. It's the stuff that when you're getting a crown or a cap that they bite down on and it turns to the shape almost immediately. Because if you use plaster, plaster doesn't hold the shape immediately. So you would put whatever inside of this dental alginate and inside of 30 seconds, it would immediately go to the shape. And then she would use plaster to then pour into the alginate, tear away the alginate, and there you would have it. I'll never be able to go to the dentist again now. <laughs> God knows what's been done with it before. <laughs> By the way, the plaster casts that she's made are not hard to find. Go online and simply search CynthiaPlasterCaster.com. And by the way, it's for adults only. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you do not go on there as a young kid. Well, now that I've said it. You know, they're going to scream for it. But it's not hard to find this. It's not hard to find the the casts. They've been on tour all over the place. But, yeah, these people are real. And this woman makes absolutely no bones about the fact that she was a plaster caster. Why'd you make your eyes make that strange shape? Here is Kiss, plaster caster, right here on Rockstar. Okay, need one more to get us into the first break. You're a fan of the Trogs? Absolutely. You know the Trogs? Good. And Trogs are more than just one or two songs. They had a whole bunch of albums and were a rather big band going into late 60s, early 70s. Okay, you know the Trogs. You know the movie Spinal Tap. Yes. Okay, you know the famous scene where David St. Hubbins and Nigel Tufnell are inside of a recording studio and things start to go really bad and they begin to scream obscenities at each other and they just drop F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb. Yes. Right? Right. You know that's not just an ad-libbed scene. They're making fun of something in particular. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. They're making fun of the trogs. I just assumed that was a scene from every rock band in history. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's something in particular. There is something called the Trogs tape. Okay? In late 1966, and you can hear it. It's not at all hard to find it. When I read about this, I I didn't know anything about it. But in late 1966, the Trogs were recording. And two members of the Trogs, and there is a, a fight over which it actually is, who, who the two people are. They're in recording, and two members get into a huge F-bomb-laden fight. In case you're wondering, somebody actually counted the number of F-bombs. In a seven-minute fight, 147 of them fly back and forth between these two guys. Wow. That's it, heroic. It is. If you're gonna, and <laughs> after a while, you're listening to it. It's funny for about the first minute because I listened to it, and I thought about playing a little bit of it on the show. It it would have taken me forever to make it airable. Yes, and it would have just been you beep you beep 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 beep. beep. It would have been a, a machine gun of bleeps. So, if you want to hear it, simple. Go to YouTube and simply put in the Trogs 
tape or the Trogs F-bomb tape. It'll come up, and some of them have that thing where you got to sign in to see it, but some of them don't. And there it all is. And that's the story. So that's where the uh, that's where the thing came from in Spinal Top Tap. It's the f bomb tape from the Trogs. Little did I know when I was an innocent junior high school kid listening to my forty five RPM singles from the Trogs. You got it. That they were actually nasty guys. Just remember, love is all around. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that's right on Rock School. First break here on Rock School. Once again, we are, let me find the name of the book here. Once again, we are doing Rock and Roll's Strangest Moments. This is the book, Extraordinary Tales from Over 50 Years of Rock Music History by Mike Evans. Great book. If you get your hands on it, do yourself a favor. Let me uh, do one of these that does not have a song attached to it since we're inside of the first break. Michael Jackson, right? You know that they had pictures of him inside of uh, an oxygen Yes. Tank. Have you seen that right. picture? Now, the story was that he did this to become younger and such. Well, you know that's not true. Right. Right. He actually bought it for the burn unit of a children's hospital. And he was there at the unveiling of it. It's, it's apparently some unbelievably expensive piece of machinery, and the hospital couldn't afford it. So Mike made up the difference, and the reporters that were there said, you know, hey, Mike, get in the thing. We'll take your picture. Okay, and then they, so you're telling you know. me that the stories on the covers of the tabloids are not true? <laughs> Might not be true. Oh, yeah. So they screwed him over on that. My faith one. is shattered. It is. <laughs> yeah, the globe might not be true. This is the one I do like, though. Most people really believe that Michael Jackson made a bid or bought the Elephant Man's bones in 1987 for fifty thousand dollars. Yes, I've heard that one. Right. You're a historian. Could he have even done it? I don't Do you think know? so. No, he couldn't have. It's a great story. I don't think he could have touched it for 50000 for one thing. He can't touch it, period. They don't exist. Here's the story. First of all, do you know the real name of the elephant man? No. John Merrick. In 1987, there were no bones to buy. As a matter of fact, there was no nothing to buy. The only thing that existed of him were his organs, which were kept in the Royal London Hospital until they were destroyed, along with most of the hospital, in a World War II bombing raid by the Germans. Okay, so those are gone. Can't buy them. The bones were never kept safe. The only thing that exists are casts of the head, one of the arms, and a foot. They are museum pieces and have never, ever been for sale. Darn. Yeah, great story, but you simply couldn't buy them if you wanted. Why that got started is so far beyond me, I can't even tell you. I don't know. There's some strange rumors that go around. Maybe he could have bought Jeff Goldblum, though. 
Because, you know, Jeff Goldblum played the Elephant Man did. in in a yeah. send-up of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber in the movie The Tall Guy, where they That's do true. a musical of the Elephant Man, which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. My wife and I tried to buy Jeff Goldblum's bones. Did you? Yes, we did. He probably didn't want to give them up. <laughs> well, he wanted to give up a few because he's been having trouble getting parts lately. You know, there's, so. a, there's a circularity to this because uh, in one of his movies, he plays a tabloid reporter and describes what he does as great investigative journalism. Well, see, there you are. <laughs> Who's listening to us, Bill? KRFY in Sandpoint, Idaho. How about that? And another new one, WMCE, Erie, Pennsylvania. I have been to Erie, Pennsylvania so many points in time. Really, really nice place. Named after the, uh, named after the lake, which you can swim in now. This, that's encouraging. Yeah, the people of Cleveland decided to stop throwing stuff in it. It burnt at one point yes, in time, but you can I swim recall in it that. now. Get us on Facebook, search Rock School Radio Show, and like us. You really like us. Back in a minute with a Steve Miller band story that you're going to dig right here on Rock School. All right, coming out of the break, told you I had a Steve Miller story for you. You like Steve Miller? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Steve Miller's playing in Biloxi on He's, July the 12th. He has been playing since before I was born, I think, and will be playing after I'm gone. He's one of these guys that just seems to constantly be picking up a guitar. Miller and Boz Skaggs, Boz Skaggs was opening for him, yes. you know, he got Boz Skaggs into playing music. They were playing the Cherry Blossom Festival in Richmond, Virginia, 1969, at a football stadium, 25,000 people in attendance. Well, there were 200 plain-clothed narcs in the audience, and they made themselves known. Hmm. During the opening set, a helicopter flies by tips so that a judge, in full judge garb can see that people are smoking marijuana. The judge... At a Steve Miller concert. At a Steve Miller Who concert. Who would have guessed? You think? Yeah, see, I went to concerts. No one ever did that when no. I was there. The judge throws a couple thumbs up, which means that whatever legal, what have you, had to be done was good. Once he gave permission, the narcs begin rounding people up and putting them on buses, which had pulled up outside. Well, the crowd begins to riot, as you can imagine. A protester begins yelling, you know, let's let them have it. Let's get them. And it starts to go out. Boss Skaggs goes off stage, obviously. The guy, the promoter who's running the whole thing, looks at Miller and says, you got to go out. Oh, boy. You got to calm this down. Well, what do you do? Miller goes out and plays his first song. The riot is still going on. Finally, he cuts the song off, walks up to the mic, says... This one is for all the police that are in the crowd and proceeds to play the Star Spangled Banner. This is the truth. Proceeds to play Star Spangled Banner. The police stop, turn towards the stage, take their hats off, take their helmets off. The riot stops. At the end of it, Miller looks down and says, is everybody done? Okay, now we can go on. And the concert goes off. And the riot is quelled. How about that? By playing the Star Spangled Banner. Beautifully done. Who'd have thought to do that? I don't know. Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> I guess. It's Jungle Love. Steve Miller Band in a rock school.
Okay, bottom of the hour here on Rock School. Let's do the names one more time. I'm Joe Burns. Bill Robinson. Sitting in for Beth West. Now, uh, let's take a break from the book Rock and Roll's Strangest Moments, Extraordinary Tales from Over 50 Years of Rock Music by Mike Evans and do seven days and 70 seconds. Something that happened on these dates, July 1st through July 7th. Rock music rules the roost. I believe Bill has Monday. Go. July 1st, 1969, John Lennon, Yoko, and family were involved in a car accident in Scotland. Lennon later had the car, wrecked car crushed into a cube and placed on display on his lawn in Tittenhurst Park. How many of you have the money to have your car put into a cube? I don't have the money to get my car oil changed. <laughs> July 2nd, 1955, ABC Television airs the first episode of The Lawrence Welk Show. Thank you, boys. Thank you very much. July 3rd, 1976, Brian Wilson returns to the stage for the first time in 12 years at a Beach Boys concert in front of 74,000 in Anaheim, California. Oh, there's no pressure there. July 4th, 2002, George Michael appears on CNN to defend the video for his song, Shoot the Dog, in which he depicts George Bush in bed with Prime Minister Tony Blair. What's to defend? I, I think the symbolism is fairly straightforward. Yes. Yeah. The main thing I object to is the title, Shoot the Dog. Yeah. July 5th, 2002, it was announced that Dr. Dre is now the richest man in music, earning an estimated $162 million per year. Yeah. He's meeting the cable bill. July 6th, 1973, Queen releases their debut single in the UK, Keep Yourself Alive, Music and Lyrics, Brian May. And then finally, July 7th, 2000, the BBC imposes its first ban on a rock music video. Rock DJ by Robbie Williams because of the images of a man ripping himself down to the muscle and then throwing it to the women who are roller skating around him. How about that at a pitch meeting? Oh here's, boy. here's what we're going to do. So, okay, back to the book, Rock and Roll Strangest Moments. Bobby Fuller yes. of the Bobby Fuller Four. Now everybody knows I fought the law and the law won. Okay, Bobby Fuller is found dead in a car beaten broken index finger from pulling it backwards he's covered in gasoline some of which is in his stomach the LAPD rules it a suicide oh yeah I yeah I, I, how is this possible Okay. Well, certainly if I were going to kill myself, I'd break my index finger and drink gasoline. And beat yourself up. Yes. I don't understand this. However, it was probably a bribe to get the report from the LAPD. Because in 1966, the PD apparently was fairly corrupt. Okay, what happened? It's found out many years later that Delphi Records, who had at the time Bobby Fuller, made a mint off of... Richie Valens before the plane crash because they started taking out million-dollar life insurance policies on all of their artists. Mm. And Delphi Records had fairly notorious underworld connections. Well, approximately a month before the death of Bobby Fuller, guess what Delphi Records took out on Mr. Fuller? Hmm. An $800,000 life insurance policy. You do the math. Yes. Yeah. Suicide? Don't think so. Seems like you fought the lawless in the yeah. lawless room. They did, right here in Rock School.
Uh, All right, continuing on with Rock and Roll Strangest Moments, uh, how about a couple from the Beatles? There's a real famous photo of the Beatles where George Harrison has a black eye, Mm -hmm. where somebody decked him. Have you ever heard sort of rumors about who decked him? No. Most people believe it was John Lennon, because Lennon was known for doing that. that. That seems like a likely scenario. Likely scenario. It was not John Lennon. It was Pete Best. Ah. Aha. Here's the story. In the summer of 62, Best was sacked by manager Epstein. Right. right? Even Lennon states, we were cowards. They had just came back from playing Germany and were not happy with Pete Best, and they got rid of him. And Epstein said, this has got to happen. And they all went, okay, we'll go over here and you can him. And they brought in Richard Starkey, you know, Ringo Starr. Great. Why was he fired? Well, some say he wouldn't do the haircut. Some say he was getting too many girls. The real reason is probably these guys were a tight-knit group, and he just wasn't getting along with them. I mean, you you got to live together, and he just wasn't gelling with the other guys. Right. I wish it was more an exciting reason than that, but that's probably it. Well, the Beatles were fantastically popular in Liverpool, and when they got rid of this person, they do this even in the in the Simpsons episode where they make fun of the the Beatles. There are signs all over the place that were saying "best forever," you know. Starkey never. Right. And this was outside of the Cavern Club. And when the Beatles were going down into the Cavern Club, have you ever been in the Cavern Club? No. No. You have to walk down a, a set of stairs to get down into the actual performance area. Well, the Beatles were coming down the stairs, and guess who was waiting down at the foot of the stairs? Hmm. hmm. Pete Best? Pete Best and his right fist. And it just happened that out of just pure sorry we lined up this way guys harrison happened to be closest to the fist and kapow he got clocked how about that that's it that's the story it was not lennon although why would lennon stop a story like that here's one of my favorites by the beatles we'll come back with one more beatles but uh, here's one of my favorites by the beatles dr robert who by the way was a dentist. And I bet that's where Cynthia Plastercaster got that <laughs> dental amalgam from. Ew. Ew. You got to put that back in my head. Sounds like this on Rock School. Okay, second break here on Rock School. I told you I had another one about the Beatles. Do you know the story about when the Beatles met Elvis? Have you heard the whole story? I've heard part of the story. Yeah. A lot of people have heard it that they met him at Graceland and that Elvis never spoke to them, but rather sat around and watched TV. Have you heard that? Is that the way the story's been relayed to uh, you? That's not the version I've heard. but Yeah, I, that's the way it was relayed to me. It, it, that's totally untrue. It did not happen that way. As a matter of fact, it happened in 1965 at Elvis's Bel Air home. It did not happen at Graceland. This sounds more familiar. Right. Uh, in fact, Elvis was gracious 
from everything that, that was brought out. The, the four of them, actually Ringo was not involved in a whole lot of it, and I'll tell you why in a minute, talked for a good long time and finally rolled out instruments. Elvis played bass, Paul moved on to the piano, and there were not drums, i.e. Ringo was sent off to play pool. He told him, sorry, we left those in Memphis. <laughs> so there's the four of them. They played for about two hours. It started to go south. And this is obviously what was told. It started to go south when Lennon asked Elvis why he wasn't making rock and roll anymore and went on to rib him for a good while about making movies instead of music. Elvis suggested he might just very well cut a few sides and, quote, knock you boys off the top. <laughs> yeah. And both groups said they said they were happy. They released nice press releases, but in private had little nice to say about one another. So that's the actual story. It, uh, it, it's been changed after years and years and years, but that's what happened. It's they played story. together. It would have been great had it been recorded. Yes. That would have been neat to hear that, but nothing got recorded. I would have liked to have heard that. It would have also been nice had Elvis sang something and the Beatles backed him up. Yeah. That would have been good, but didn't happen. Who's listening to us? KSRQ in Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Thief River Falls. Thief River Falls. That's that's back when people were actually stealing bodies of moving water. Yeah. Yeah. Not easy to do. No. KPVL, Decorah, Iowa. They also listen to us. See, I told you, we're getting more and more radio stations to pick us up. They're lining up. We have to keep this going somehow. Back in a minute on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, let's talk about a super group, and a lot of them, Blind Faith, Asia, you yep. know, Journey, basically a super group. In 1966, Rolling Stone magazine, did you get Rolling Stone in 66? I did. Okay. I had to drive to Alexandria and go to a little <laughs> newsstand to do so, but, but I, I got it. There it is. Okay. A new super group was announced called the Masked Marauders. Ever heard of them? The Masked Marauders. Masked Marauders. This sounds more like something that I would have watched on Saturday afternoon. No, 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 no. It was made up of Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and Bob Dylan. Wow. Yeah. The author of the story was a guy named T.M. Christian. Even claimed the album was coming out soon and will be produced by Al Cooper. Hmm. How about this? Well, you can imagine. Boom. Well, obviously, there's going to be an album. It came out. It came out on Reprise Deity albums. It's only one problem. The whole thing was a joke. TM Christian was writer Greel Marcus, and the album was cut by student musicians from Berkeley. <laughs> if you bought the album, the inner sleeve explained the entire thing was a joke. You can still get them today. As a matter of fact, I have a cut by the band oh. and people believe that even though the whole thing was made up and was a joke that the musicians jagger mccartney lennon and dylan actually play on the album and the cut i'm gonna play is the cut that most people believe that some of those musicians specifically mccartney 
stuck their nose in the studio and as part of the joke, went ahead and did it. So take a listen to the cut. Maybe there's a real person on here. I highly doubt it. Yes. But maybe one of the real people were on here. Having been through the Klaatu is the Beatles uh, scenario back yeah. in the early 70s, I'm right. always skeptical of these things. But right. then, of course, the Stones did do jamming with Edward, didn't sure, they? Sure, that's true. And, and, um, and the traveling Wilburys. Maybe they got their idea from this. Who that's knows? That's right. Could be. But remember also, Paul is dead. Yes. Here are the masked marauders on Rock School. What'd you think of the masked marauders? Oh, that was fabulous. Yeah. Uh, made me think about Adrian Ballou singing <laughs> yeah. Bob Dylan style on uh, Frank Zappa's Flakes. Yeah. Did you think it was actually Bob Dylan, though? No. You know, there's a lot of people, I guarantee, that would then say it sounds so little like Bob Dylan. I'll bet it was Bob Dylan playing around to make us think that it wasn't Bob Dylan. Reminds me of the crop circles in Britain <laughs> after the. The two guys who made those admitted we like to get drunk and go out and make crop circles. People said, no, they just made that up. That's right. It's that's, really aliens. That's how the government's keeping <laughs> us down, man. Okay, I got two more. And by the way, if you want to hear the rest of the Masked Marauders, I can't play some of the songs because they're like 12 minutes long. Just go to YouTube and type in Masked Marauders. It's a black album cover, cover with a woman sort of looking over her right shoulder at you. You can't miss them. There they are. So, Okay. Here's one. It's an urban rumor. Rod Stewart had to be rushed to the hospital to have his stomach pumped because yes. blah, blah, blah. He commented on it only once in a 1991 Rolling Stone interview. It is blatantly not true. In case you're wondering, there is a researcher, a historical researcher, that found the, what do you call it, the, the beginning of it, the inception of the rumor. It apparently started for the first time when told against Clara Bow in the 20th when she supposedly went on a date with the entire USC football team. Well, That's where it started. And since then has been attributed to Rod Stewart, Elton John. This is every person he has found it atta attached to. Uh, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, John Bon Jovi, the Bay City Rollers, Fiona Apple, Little Kim, and Britney Spears. But I'm sure anybody you wish to attack... You yeah, know, put it right on. There. It's like let them eat cake. You know that was right. associated erroneously with Marie Antoinette, but earlier associated with various royal mistresses. All you have to do is just find a way. You know, what's the quickest way to attack somebody? Well, do it in a sexual manner, yep. and people immediately believe it if they dislike the person. This is the one we're going to end on, though. Grace Slick supposedly dropped acid at the White House with Nixon daughter Trisha. 
and was going to slip more of the acid into the water at the party. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that rumor? Yes. Sure. Okay, not true, but close. Real close. Grace Slick is actually Grace Wing. Mm -hmm. And Grace Wing attended Finch College with... Trisha Nixon. Nixon. Right. Thus got invited in a big sweeping invite to the White House for tea. Great. She decided that she would use her invite, which said, you know, Grace Wing plus one. She would use her escort as Abby Hoffman, naming him Mr. Leonard Hoffman. H-O-U-F-M-A-N-N. <laughs> okay. They brought a whole bunch of acid tabs and were going to drop them into Nixon's coffee. Now, might have worked if they hadn't dressed up like, according to Grace herself, a go-go girl and a pimp. Had they just dressed normally, they probably would have gotten in, but they got stopped at the, at the front. What's funny is that Pat Nixon actually liked the music that, that was around at the time and wanted to meet her. She, she liked of, Jefferson Airplane. She was, a, she was a, a fan of the friends of Trisha and said, what's too bad she got shuffled off? You should have brought her in at the time. So Slick shot herself in the foot. How she about could that? have gotten in, but by, by doing something silly, if she'd have just gone in in a cute little dress with acid tabs in the pocket, could have gotten into the White House. I got into the White House once. Did you? Yes, was I met, it one of those I met, tours? I met Julie Nixon. Did you? And I was part of a group of high school students that were, were invited to Washington, D.C. And uh, we were supposed to meet Tricky Dick, but yeah. uh, he was busy. Leonid Brezhnev was in town, oh, so we got really? to meet Julie instead. Well, he will bury you. But so. we didn't uh, We didn't drop anything into anything. No acid tabs? No, no acid tabs, That's too no. bad. Hey, Might have had some antacid tabs. Yeah, so. true. Thanks for sitting in. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Can you do it next week, too? You bet. Good. We're going to have you back next week. We'll have another topic for you. I'm Joe Burns. Bill Robison. Hey, class is dismissed. Don't know what's happened to me since I met you. Feel like I'm falling in love since I met you. I got to know what you do.